conference called New Room, which is a gathering of Methodists, um, the Pan Wesleyan family of all Methodist types. Anybody ever been to Texas? I've never been to Texas. Uh, this, you know, the heat is like a hammer, just hits you across the head. They say it's a dry heat, and I just say, no, it's just hot. Um, the people were really nice. Uh, the, the barbecue was exceptional. Uh, I'm not going to capitulate yet. I think North Carolina is still superior in our pork, but um, Texas was, was a wonderful place to visit. And I, I got there on a Tuesday night, and the conference started the next morning. And while I was uh, settling into my room, it had Netflix, and I saw that Band of Brothers is now on Netflix, and I'm going to watch that because I like that kind of stuff. And as I'm getting ready to do that, I, just, I felt like God saying to me, you need to prepare your heart. It was just this interesting thing, but I felt this prompting of the Spirit saying, you just get prepared for tomorrow for this conference. And I, th- I said, okay, sure. So I started to pray and spent a few moments doing that. And I felt like the Lord was saying, you know, this act of consecration, of preparation, of confession, of repentance is vitally important um, before you enter into a season in which I will do miracles in your midst. And, and while I was praying about this, I felt this, um, this reminder that the gifts of God are not automatic. Uh, they don't come to us necessarily from a passive spirit on our end, but that we have to actually do something um, in order to receive what he wants to, to give us. So there is a give and a take. There is an action and reaction with our relationship with God. Uh, you know, th- there's like, there, there's really like a law of the will, right? Human beings, we have a will. We have an ability to choose. We have what we call agency. And so, and in some ways, we're only as bound or as free as we cho- choose to be. That when we give into temptation or we choose to sin, and, and let me say like sin is not just, you know, sex and money, as those get a lot of uh, airplay, but also just giving in to having a spirit of fear, or maybe you have a bad temper, or you know, there's all sorts of things that are sin, but, you know, w- but when we give in to those things and we continue to do them, you give a foothold to the enemy in your life, and, and you open up a whole se- area of your life to sin, but it also goes the same way with holiness, with righteousness, with pursuing God and knowing God deeper, and we can open ourselves up to that too. We have that ability to say yes or no, so there's degrees of agency. So while I was praying about all these things, and I was just sort of confessing to God anything that came to mind that the Spirit led me to pray about, uh, the next morning I go into this conference, and the leaders of it uh, get up and start talking. And lo and behold, what do they talk about? Consecration. Preparation. And I had no idea that that's what they were going to talk about. But they really said, you know, as we enter into these next few days together, uh, we want us to start our time with consecrating ourselves unto the Lord, giving you space to confess, to prepare. And, and they even said, hey, we have a consecration room behind this stage so that before we even came up here, before our worship team came up here, we went through it um, to confess and to pray and to seek the presence of God and receive his grace for our lives. Not just like a green room where we could you know, have M&Ms and coffee and sushi or something, but a time to really get on our knees before the Lord. And I thought, that's really great. You know, when you think about consecration, the definition of consecration uh, in the dictionary is, it's one of those definitions that's kind of circular. It's kind of disappointing. It's like consecration is the act of consecrating something. You know, I'm like, okay. But then I found another definition 
that said <laughs> consecration is the act of making something sacred, typically a church. And also another definition, to be set apart. To set apart, to say this is a holy thing, to consecrate something or someone. Sort of like leading up to Easter, right? The 40 days leading up to Easter, the season of Lent. We take that time to prepare, to consecrate ourselves, leading up to that celebration of the resurrection. Um, Catholic priests, before they enter into an exorcism or deliverance with an individual, they spend time in prayer and fasting and confession before they enter into that holy space. Uh, Moses, before he walks uh, toward the burning bush, right? What does the Lord say to him? Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. So there's an action and a reaction to our lives that we need to, when we approach the holiness of God, we have to prepare ourselves. Like consecration is like saying to God, God, I choose to align myself with your will. I choose to receive all of the promises of who you are. I choose to leave sin and evil behind me and want to live a holy and righteous life. It's like saying, God, I, I agree with you about what is true. I, I agree with you. Help me believe what you say about me, no matter how beautiful it is. To make holy. Only God can make you and I holy. And in the book of Joshua, chapter 3, the people of Israel are about to enter into the promised land. They've gone through the exodus. Moses has passed away, and Joshua is now leading the people. And before they can set, go into this promised land, what's in their way is the Jordan River. And we might, it's not nice to be reminded, actually, there's more than one river crossing story in the Old Testament. There's not just Moses parting the Red Sea. There's actually a story here where the nation of Israel has to cross the Jordan River. Now, it's interesting that the Jordan River, apparently, during most of the year, it's only about a, um, a, a hundred yards wide. But as the scripture says here, um, this is during the, the, uh, the harvest season. So the river is actually much wider than normal. We estimate it could be over a mile wide as they approach this, this, this water. So let's check this out. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the ark, so they'd have like a pole on each arm, right? And they have the ark in front of them. And they're carrying the ark of the covenant, full of the Ten Commandments, of the Lord your God. Move out from your positions and follow them. Let the priests lead the way. Since you've never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. So if you keep reading Joshua 3, these priests, the Levitical priests, they carry the ark of the covenant, and they go stand out in the middle of the Jordan River. Half a mile, as last time I checked, I'm not good at math, but it's half away of a mile. So they're literally in the middle of the Jordan River and they're just standing there. Sometimes God's promises to us don't make sense. And sometimes when we act in faith, you could look like a fool. Like here are these priests just going out and standing in the water. And immediately nothing happens. Because if you go on to read in verses 15 and 16, the water backs up 
to a place called Aden, which if you look on a map, it's 20 miles downriver or upriver. 20 miles, the water started to gather. The people couldn't even see the water gathering from where they were. Those priests are just standing there. They're waiting for God to do this thing that Joshua said God was going to do. And slowly but surely, the water level goes down. The water, the water level goes down to the point where it stops at Adem and it flows to the Dead Sea and the riverbed is dry and all of the people cross over into Jericho. You know, the, the preparation of the people. You know, Joshua could have just said to the nation of Israel, okay, here we go. You all load up. We're going to cross the river, okay? You don't have to do anything about it. God will take care of it. It's all good, right? No, he says, you have, an, you have a role to play in this, this action that it's not just simply God doing it, but, but we, are, we are partnering with God in this sense. Like our personal decisions, our personal consecration, our personal choices matter. That, that the, the gifts of God, again, they don't come by accident sometimes. Sometimes it requires real work and effort and volition on our part. So, so the people, in many ways, got, Joshua is saying to them, realign yourselves with the purposes and the will of God so that when he does these great wonders in your midst, you will be ready, but you'll also acknowledge it's the Lord that did it and not any of you. Now, when I talk about realignment, I'm not really a car guy. You know, I like cars. I can tell what type of cars are. You know, I like looking at them. But when you open a hood, I have no clue. Like, I have zero, I'm not a gearhead kind of person. Keith's really good at that stuff. He works on his car. I just can't do that. Like, I'm like, cool, does it have a horn? Like, I don't know. Oh, cool windshield. I don't, oh, ooh, it has lights, you know. But I like to look at them. Uh, but here's something I do know is that when a car, you have to realign the tires every so often, right? You have to take it to a place, and they have to hook it up to the machine, and they make sure they're balanced, and they get it up on a lift, and they can look at it, and they spin the tires and all that. Because if you don't realign them, what happens? You begin to drift. That's always fun. You feel that pull on your steering wheel. <laughs> and if you don't eventually do it, some of you are thinking, man, I should get my tires realigned. If you don't eventually do it, the, the tread wears off. It, it makes it all misshapen, and it could even cause serious problems where it could hurt, hit the inside of your wheel well and all sorts of stuff. But you need to get the car up on a lift. And the act of consecration is an act of saying to God, realign my life with your purposes. Get me back in place where I need to be with you. And the good news is, it's purely an action of the Holy Spirit toward you. It's all grace. With, once we say to God, I'm here, I give you my life as a living sacrifice, like Romans 12 would say. Realign my life. If you see if there's any wicked way within me and remove it and lead me to the life everlasting. Like there was a revival in Asbury, Kentucky this past February uh, at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. And for a couple weeks in February, eventually it was only students like Gen Z 18 to 22 year olds that were really leading this thing. And as it grew, social media and all that, thousands, literally 500,000 people showed up in Kentucky over a couple of weeks period of time. People flying from like Brazil and Europe to come and encounter the manifest presence of Jesus was just present in this chapel. And, and what was so remarkable about the whole event, and this, this is the sign of every revival in history throughout the history of the world, 
is that it's, it's remarkably unremarkable in our standards in terms of the simplicity of it. There's no light show, there's no electric guitars, there's no, and I like all that stuff, but there's, it's just people praying in the presence of Jesus. And when his presence is there, people don't want to leave, right? Would you? I wouldn't. They, they want to stay there because the, there's, there's always like a stillness. There's like a holy stillness where there will be worship and there's spontaneous songs and all of that, but there will also be long periods of just silence in his presence. But a big mark of that revival was people praying for each other. People would come forward and they put hands on them. And what was happening was these Gen Z kids were, they were confessing their sin. They wanted, they were lining up thousands of them to come into a chapel and confess sin. If there's ever a generation that needs that, it's this one to find that freedom in the presence of Jesus that they wanted, needed his presence and, and to have someone pray over them, essentially just consecrating their lives, right? And here's what these kids started doing. They started taking things out of their pockets that they knew were unholy and leaving them on the altar. Vaping stuff they were leaving on the altar. Even their phone they're putting it on the altar and saying, Jesus, we are a people of unclean lips. Who are we to dwell with you? And yet you're here. And they wanted to confess sin. And when they encountered the holiness of God, confession, consecration would soon follow, like peeling back the layers of an onion, that healing comes when we shine light on our sin when we make it aware to God and to others. Because how can Jesus heal it if we don't acknowledge it to ourselves or to each other? Because if you can't confess the problem, how can it be fixed? But here's the crazy good news, though, is that many times well-meaning church Christian people, we, we accept Jesus' forgiveness of your sin, which is wonderful, but we think that's all it is. Like, a lot of times we get caught in this idea of sin management. Like, I'm going to keep doing the thing that I can't quite shake, but I'm just going to move it around my life and kind of operate, just rearrange my life around the thing that I know I shouldn't do. Sort of like every item in your home has a, has a shelf life, and the closer it gets to the garage, the closer it is to dying. <laughs> Think about it, yeah. Like, oh, that needs to go to Goodwill. What should we do? Let's put it in a garbage bag. And it gets further down the house, closer to them. And then when it's in the garage, it's over. Eventually, it's going to go around. It's going to disappear, hopefully. But Jesus is not interested in the gospel of sin management. When Jesus comes into our lives, he does not simply just take your sin and move it to another room in your house, right? Like, he doesn't just wash you of your sin. But Jesus literally displaces your sin with himself. This is a good, this is a pivotal thing to, to let it sink in. Like, Jesus doesn't just, okay, I absolve you of your sin. No, he literally comes in, replaces your sin with himself, with his spirit. Like, God doesn't even remember your sin 
as far as the east is from the west, the scripture says. So I've removed your sins from you. Like, when I was 20 years old and I came to Christ, and I, I grew up in church, I believed in God. I went to youth group. I loved all that stuff. And it was, it was the grace of God drawing me to himself, right? But I never, no one ever told me that Christ can indwell my life and that he can literally, I can literally know him. Like, I never knew that. And it's a revolutionary thing. Like, he's, he's not just like a, something I pull off the shelf every once in a while, a few times a year. But like, he literally comes and displaces sin from your life. Like, we can get caught up in this gospel of, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, and hopefully God will accept me. I'm going to do more, and hopefully Jesus will forgive me. But the gospel is simply the word done. It's done. The day of the cross, sin and death and the devil were defeated that day. Amen? They were defeated on the day of Calvary. Forever atoned for. Christ has done it. He comes in and takes residence. He doesn't just manage sin. He has destroyed it. He has forgotten your guilt. He, has, he does not even remember what it was. Consecration is sort of like on a spring day, you open up the windows and you let the wind blow through, right? And it's so nice and refreshing. It's like that. It's saying, I open the windows of my life and I want you to blow through and come take residence within me. And I'll speak prophetically for a moment. I believe this church is coming up and is in the middle of a great time of harvest, a great time of growth, a great time of resurrection. And before we step into that season, God is calling us to be a consecrated people, a people who have prepared our hearts. Why? So that we could see him do great wonders in our midst. But it's our participation matters. And what we do when no one's watching matters. So, how, so what do we do, though? Well, Wesley would call what we call means of grace or mediums of grace. It's really you're saying, God, I'm going to choose to engage with holy things. I'm going to choose to step into those streams that you have ordained that communicate your grace to the world. Things like confession. When we confess sin to God, it's not focusing on what's so wrong with you. Because we all have things wrong with us. Amen? There is a long list. <laughs> okay? It's not about what's so wrong with you. It's about what is so right about Jesus when we confess our sin. And knowing that he does not condemn you. As, as, as John 3 says, the Son of Man did not come to, to condemn the world, but to save the world. So, John, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Another means of grace is scripture, just simply reading the Bible, that when we engage with scripture, you're engaging with a holy word to speak into your life. As Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed lots of things, but he prayed for one, that all who would believe in him would be sanctified by God's truth. Let, let us be sanctified by the truth of God's word. Then we read God's word, it sanctifies us. It reminds us of what's true in a world of lies, that we become more interior, in a sense, more interior consecrated when we engage with God's word, that it, it challenges us, it, it, it shapes us, it, it calls us from sin, it points us to heaven to be transformed by the truth. 
But here's the craziest part about our culture. Like, I love sports. I watch sports all the time. And we have some guys out there that are really, really good at putting a ball through a hoop. Really good at it. Like, amazing at putting a ball through a hoop or running an oblong, weird-shaped ball over a line on the ground. People are really, really good at that. And then people go, I'm going to listen to what they have to say. I'm going to let them speak into my life. Or you got some, some girls on Instagram that are all done up and they got the duck lips and they're showing cleavage and they're doing all that stuff and it's everywhere. And you think, I'm going to listen to what Kylie says about my life. Her voice is important to me. But we don't choose to listen to the God who said, let there be light. May God reorder our loves. May God reprioritize our lives. And that's really what the process of sanctification and consecration is, is saying, God, I choose to let you reorient what's most important so, I, so that I can walk in freedom. Because that's, that's what God's will is for all people, to walk in freedom. And another uh, m- m- means of grace is communion. That when we engage with a, a sacrament, Sacrament is a word that means holy mystery, things that Christ instituted. There's two, communion and baptism. When we engage with communion, we're saying to God, I'm stepping into your light. I'm stepping into your grace. I'm stepping into a holy freedom. Consecrate me. And as, as Christ came to the table that night with his disciples, he said, as often as you take this meal, do this in remembrance of me. Not some distant past where we remember wistfully about days gone by, but no, an active presence of Jesus here and now through this act of simple elements like bread and juice, that he's present. He took the bread of the Passover and he broke it and he said, this now was about the Passover lamb. I am the lamb that comes to take away the sin of the world. As often as you take this meal, do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup, the cup of the new covenant. And he said, this is, this is now my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take of this, drink of it. Received the gift and the grace of God, this new covenant of God for all men and women and children all over the world. I have poured out my blood for you. And friends, as we approach this table, let us come to him as a living sacrifice. Let us approach him with all that we are and let our prayer be the prayer of the psalmist to search us and know us and lead us into life everlasting. Let's pray. Oh God, as we approach your table, we pray you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ. Let us be a people that are redeemed and walk in newness of life. I pray for anyone here and now that needs to walk in freedom. I pray they would receive this gift you have given us and they would know of your freedom that you have provided freely for all. We offer you this time of worship. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to invite those.